what you meant when you said, we understand. Uh, you know, it could be passion to preach or infirmity of mind. I like to think, I like to think of it, I like to think of it as passion to preach. And by the way, last week when I made reference to a potato couch, you all obviously don't know what a potato couch is. A potato couch is something produced by a couch potato because the man sits there and he's watching TV and he's reaching into the bag of chips and they're, whoa, look at that, look at that touchdown there, man. And he's got chips all over the place and pretty soon his wife says, honey, this thing smells like potatoes. And it's the, it's the couch potato who makes potato couches. I'm just explaining. You, you all probably didn't know about that. Go to a used furniture store and ask them if you could have a, a potato couch. <laughs> they'll, uh, they'll sell you one real cheap. Oh, it's amazing the things I've said over the years. And Tim Hoke, Tim Hoke has a whole list of special words that I've created. So It's good to have Juan and Sarah with us today, newly married. They'll soon be leaving for Spain. Pray for them and greet them if you can. Now, I want to ask you ladies a question. How do you think you would feel if your husband or your future husband came to you and said something like this? Sweetheart, you are truly pretty. You are actually a beautiful woman. But I want you to become even more beautiful even more attractive, and I believe that you can. I have a picture here in my wallet of a woman whom I would like you to look like. Now, it will take a lot of effort and a lot of time and maybe even a lot of money. And then he pulls out a picture of the most beautiful most attractive woman that even you have ever seen in your life. I'm not talking about a sensual woman or a sexy model. I'm talking about a strikingly beautiful woman, outwardly perfect seemingly in every way. The right height, the right weight, the right figure, the right facial features, the right teeth, the right hair, the right complexion, everything. How would you feel? What would you say to your husband? You'd probably tell him, just a minute, stay right there. And you'd go find a picture of a dead man in a coffin and you'd bring it back to him. And you'd say, this is who I want you to look like. But once you got over the anger and the hurt, if you ever could... How inspired would you be about trying to become as beautiful as the woman in the picture? You probably say to yourself, that's ridiculous. First of all, I could never become that beautiful, even with cosmetic surgery. Even if I try, I'm going to become overwhelmed with despair and discouragement. Because it's impossible. Of course, your biggest discouragement would not be the impossibility of becoming that beautiful, but knowing that you were living with a husband who was unappreciative, who had 
his values converted, uh, contorted, actually, and who had an unrealistic standard for you. Now, how you would feel is the way many women feel whenever they see the picture of the woman of Proverbs 31. They say, oh, no. Here we go again. I can never become that woman. She makes me feel so inadequate. It's an impossible standard. She's perfect. I feel overwhelmed and discouraged before the sermon even begins. In fact, I hate sermons on Mother's Day for that very reason. Well, dear ladies, my purpose this morning is not to overwhelm you or to discourage you, but rather to encourage you. And I want to begin by telling you that the woman of Proverbs 31 does not exist. She's sort of a computer-enhanced woman. In one sense, she's sort of airbrushed. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Not airbrushed in the way that sensual, glamorous women look on the covers of magazines, but in this sense that the one who described her purposely chose only her virtues, only her qualities. He didn't, she didn't paint the other portions of how this woman appears. The reason why she is such is because the one who took this picture is a mother who wants her son to marry such a woman. The fact is this ideal, quote unquote, description of this wife and mother was written by a woman, a woman who was a mother. Isn't that interesting that on Mother's Day we look at a picture of a mother painted or taken by a mother? How do we know that? Because of verse one. Just notice verse one. We read about her. At the opening of this chapter. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. He's simply expressing what his mother taught him. In one sense, they're the words of King Lemuel. In another sense, they're the words of his mother. It was a mother who was describing this woman in verses 10 through 31 because she is describing for her son what she hopes the princess, her future daughter-in-law, will be. She sets forth nothing but virtues because she wants her son to look for a virtuous woman. In fact, we have no idea what she really looked like. This is a highlight video of her virtues. And I think it is significant that we have no idea what she looked like. If I ask you ladies, and particularly you young ladies, do you think she was pretty? You say, I suppose she is. And I would say, on what grounds do you think she was pretty? She may have been very ordinary. She may have even been homely. Is there anything said about her appearance? In that sense, she's not being airbrushed because airbrushing is deceptive. And I hope all you young girls know that 
most of the women pictured in our day as models of glamour really don't exist in that sense either. They're just not real. They're not that pretty when you get up to them. So the writer is not willfully deceiving us. The writer is just focusing on virtues that characterize this woman. But isn't it interesting that, in fact, she, the mother of Lemuel, plays down the matter of outward appearance. She wants her son to be a realist. I want you to notice very quickly verse 30. Now, actually, the description ends with verse 29. But now, the mother of Lemuel wants to say one more thing, and he passes it on to us, and it's a perspective. It's like, son, will you please remember this? And, and by the way, moms, it might not be bad for you to teach your sons this verse of Scripture. Memor- have them memorize this. I'm, I'm dead serious. Memorize this. Charm is deceitful. That's what just slays guys. A charming girl. Charm is, in its own way, very seductive. I'm not talking about in a sensual, sexual way. It's very seductive. But you know what the Bible says about charm? It's deceitful. And many men have awakened on their honeymoon to find out that the woman that they thought was so charming was, in fact, not charming all the time. And then she says something else. She says beauty is vain. So two things. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. So is this woman physically attractive? I don't know. I have no idea. I know this. Not important. Not important. Not important. Because beauty, outward beauty, is vain. Why is it vain? Because it can't be kept. In one sense, enjoy it while you have it, but you won't have it a long time. Because what's going to win out, ladies, is the same thing that wins out with men. Gravity. (laughs) Gravity's going to win. You begin to bend over. And in so many ways, the natural process of aging will just take its toll And the beauty that you once had will be gone, and it will be gone so fast you can hardly believe it. And men have the same problem. If they were handsome, their handsomeness goes. They start, you know, um, suffering from all those other maladies like pirate's disease, which is sunken chest. Then there's furniture disease. That's where your chest falls into your drawers. Uh, the battle, the bulge, the whole thing. Men wear their pants up higher. I mean, it is sort of humorous. But what happened? What happened? Nothing. They just were aging. Beauty and handsomeness and outward attractiveness is vain. And all of us need to remember that. And some of you especially because you live for it. It is, it is your God. And that's why it's a very dangerous thing to be pretty, to be attractive. Very dangerous. Just makes you more of an idolater. It's dangerous to be a good-looking man. So, I just want to put that in perspective because she puts that in perspective for us. Now, 
If you don't mind, I'm just going to give this woman a name, and then I'll be referring to her by that name the rest of the sermon. You know what I'm going to call her? I'm going to call her Ruby. Ruby? Why? Because the mother of Lemuel said that she's so precious that her price is above the precious stone called a ruby. That's actually the translation in in several Bibles. So let's think of Ruby and let's remember that we're only seeing what her virtues are. We're not seeing a perfect woman, in fact. And so, ladies, could you just be a little bit encouraged? I'm just telling you that you cannot be perfectly all of these things all of the time. And neither was she. So let's be balanced. I don't want any of you ladies, uh, mothers or girls and women who hope someday to be mothers to be either overwhelmed with discouragement and hopelessness because you see a role model set before you that is just utterly impossible to achieve. But on the other hand, don't take the wrong kind of comfort and encouragement from this objectivity. And say, well, you know what? It doesn't really matter because she's not real. Why did God put this in the Bible? So that we could say she's not real and she doesn't exist? No. He put it in the Bible so that, as Matthew Henry says, you ladies who are godly will have a mirror by which to dress your soul and your character. You see, Ruby is a sinner. Ruby has weaknesses and deficiencies. She, too, struggles with laziness. I said that last week. There's no human being since the fall who has not struggled with laziness. She struggles with frustration and resentment and impatience. She struggles with feelings of being unappreciated. She, too, is sometimes insubordinate to her husband because there is no woman on the face of the earth who still has remaining sin, and every woman on the face of the earth does, who isn't occasionally insubordinate to her husband. She still struggles with carelessness in speech. And yes, she struggles with weight. So, dear ladies, don't feel like you must be perfect. Jesus was perfect for you. Okay? Try to become more and more like this woman, realizing that you'll never be perfectly like her. But your standing before God does not depend on your perfection. If it did, there would be no hope. Ruby cannot find peace with God by being the woman described in verses 10 through 31. Ruby cannot obtain justification by being a wonderful wife and mother. She can obtain a good conscience and she can reflect wonderfully on the grace of God. And she can bring pleasure to God by conforming to his revealed will. But she cannot be justified by this. So, ladies, embrace your failures. Be realistic about yourself. And take all of your inadequacies and sins to the Savior. But strive, strive by God's grace to conform your life and your behavior to the virtuous woman of Proverbs 31, Ruby. And if you're a Christian, just always remember that Christ died not only to pay for the sins of failure,
But he died to provide a power and a dynamic through the Holy Spirit and the scriptures to become more and more like this woman. So I I would say to you, fight and rest, rest and fight, but never do just one. Work hard at becoming this woman. But in as much as you fail, rest in Christ. Rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. We all must do this. Is that just for women? No, this is for all of us. But we also must fight to deal with sin and to become conformed to the image of our Savior. So this passage is here to show us what godliness in the life of a wife and a mother should look like. You know, Derek Kidner in his hopeful commentary on Proverbs, makes this statement. I just want to share this with you. He says, Proverbs is a book that seldom takes you to church. Its function in Scripture is to put godliness into working clothes and to identify business and society as the spheres in which we are to conduct our lives with credit to our Lord and in which we are to look for his training. Here we have a woman, in fact, dressed for us in working clothes. So it's very practical, and it's very helpful, and it's something that all of us can strive toward, including men. Now, so having said that, uh, who else is this sermon for? And that's another thing. Well, it's a Mother's Day I, do I have to hear another Mother's Day sermon? I'm a man. I'm a, I'm a guy. No, this is for you. This is for everyone. This is for grandmothers who still have daughters and maybe granddaughters, possibly grandchildren. This is for mothers, obviously. This is for young ladies who hope to be mothers. This is for mothers like Jonathan prayed for today, who uh, I, I mean to say these, this is for hopeful mothers, would be mothers. So that they can pray for those who do have children as they pray that their own womb would become fruitful. This is for fathers. This is for grandfathers. This is obviously for young men. Some of you know the name Bruce Waltke, profound scholar, Old Testament. He said this. He said, this valued woman has been canonized, that is put in the Bible, as a role model for all people for all time. Wise daughters aspire to be like her. Wise sons seek to marry her. And all wise people aim to incarnate the wisdom she embodies. That's what he said. That's very hopeful. So, guys, you're not married? You think Proverbs 31 isn't helpful for you? It's very helpful for you. Because it sets forth the virtues that you should be looking for in the woman in whom you fall in love, with whom you fall in love. And just a word of caution, by the way, on your first date, don't take a copy of Proverbs 31 with you and all through the date be thinking through it and maybe talking to her about all those issues. Take it in your heart wherever you go and try to remember as you look for the woman of Proverbs 31, 30 other chapters were written for you to obey. Chapters 1 through 30. And when you have gotten all the wisdom of those 30 chapters, 
then you might be in a better position to judge this woman who is not yet as perfect as you think she should be. And I'm just going to say one more thing. Um, The approach that the writer uses here is really a poetic device. This is actually a poem. And there are 22 verses in it. And each of the verses begin with one of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So how do we study? How do we approach it? How do we glean from it? I'm not going to do a verse by verse consecutive um, flyover of this passage. What I have done this week is I have tried to identify categorically the things that are critical about an excellent woman, a virtuous mother. And these are what I'm going to submit to you. I'm trying to make this very simple. One, fear God. Two, work hard. Three, serve others. And four, change the world. This was a woman who feared the Lord, worked hard, served others, and did change the world of which she was a part. So that's the outline. Now, the first and the foremost thing, of course, is fearing the Lord. And we find that at the end of the chapter. We've already read from that verse. Verse 30. Notice it again. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. It's as if the mother of Lemuel and God the Holy Spirit wanted us to kind of come to the end of the whole description after we've said, wow, wow, how do you become like that? And we hear the Spirit of God say, by fearing the Lord. That is foundational. That's what it's all based on. That's the most important thing that the mother of Lemuel can say about this woman. She's not primarily outwardly glamorous. Perhaps not at all. But she fears the Lord. And I want to remind all of you ladies how critical this is with regard to motherhood. But then when I say that, I'm sitting here also talking to myself and say, hmm, so like women are supposed to really fear the Lord, that's foundational women, but not men? Are men supposed to fear the Lord, but women especially fear the Lord? No. All of us have been called to build our lives on the fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? It is coming to love and reverence Him. It is coming to see who He is in His sovereign rule over our lives and in all of His beautiful attributes. It is seeking to bring ourselves completely and wholeheartedly under all of His authority and government. It is seeking to understand His mind for us as to how we should live. The fear of the Lord is that attitude produced by true conversion, by being born again, by relinquishing your own sovereignty. It isn't something that makes you stand or sit and quake and be nervous all the time. It's a beautiful word having to do with reverence and a sense of awe and a sense of devotion for the rest of our lives to God. No woman, no mother can ever become 
these other things. She'll never be a hardworking woman serving others and changing the world in a right kind of a way unless she first fears the Lord. I'm not going to take time to take you but to this passage, but in chapter 1 and verse 7, we are told by Solomon that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There is no wisdom apart from the fear of the Lord, not in the truest sense. There may be lots of knowledge, no wisdom. Wisdom is bound up in knowing God and loving God and living for God. In chapter 9 and verse 10, say the same thing. So that's what explains this woman. It's the fear of the Lord. It's not just one quality among many that you ladies or the rest of us men can kind of look at and say, well, you know, there's a lot of stuff in there. And P.T. said that. She doesn't really exist, or these are just highlights of of her virtues. Um, You know, I think I'm going to pick a couple of them. I'm not sure I'm going to pick the fear of the Lord, but I like this, that she's a good businesswoman. No, you can't do that. The fear of the Lord is not just one quality among many others that you can choose. The fear of the Lord is foundational to all of the other qualities. It is the central governing principle. It's the inward dynamic. And as I've already said, it's what explains how she is everything else that's described in in these verses. Ladies, could I just remind you of this before I move to the next point? You will never, ever, ever find fulfillment in life. You will never discover your, quote, human potential. Until you know the Lord. The world will tell you something completely different. And these are the things they're in hot pursuit of. Worldly women. They want to be fulfilled. They want to achieve their potential. And they're looking for it in all the wrong places. And they will never ever find it. Nor will any man ever find it. Because our fulfillment and our full potential must begin with and be built upon and driven by the fear of the Lord. So, ladies, you were made for God. In one sense, you were not made first for your husband. I understand that womanhood came into existence. Eve was made for her husband. I understand that. But before you are a wife, you are a human being. And human beings were made for the Lord. You were not made for yourself. You were not made for personal success. You were not made for independence. You were made for the Lord. And you find your greatest fulfillment in that by being a wife, if God so gifts you. I really appreciated what Jonathan prayed this morning as he thought through categorically of the various women in our church. And this is a suitable place for me just to say that after the service today, we want to offer an opportunity for any women um, who are struggling in some regard with motherhood. It could be some of the things he prayed about. You have an alienated relationship with a some of your children. You've lost children. Do you hear Jonathan say that some in this congregation have had multiple miscarriages? 
I needed my memory refreshed this morning, and I stopped in the aisle to talk to Bob Saffel for just a moment. This is, this is going to be hard for you to believe. Bob and Kathy have had 16, excuse me, 13 children die. One was born and lived for several days, and there's a wonderful testimony uh, that is available to be heard shortly after the death of Emily. Is there anyone in here who's had 12 miscarriages and one death after birth? Well, I'm diverting, but I'm, I'm trying to make this point and make this offer. There are lots of, there are women here who want to have children. I could name them. I don't want to embarrass them. If you, for any reason, would appreciate prayer, and if any of the rest of you would be willing to pray for some of these folks, we're going to just meet for 15 minutes in the Midwest Center classroom afterwards very quickly and just pray for mothers who are struggling in this way, that way, or the other way, and uh, then we'll let you go. And if, if no one comes, that's okay. The offer is there. We want to pray for you. So the first thing is she fears the Lord. The second thing is that she works hard. I'm I'm going to spend very little time on this. Andrew read it for us. Have you ever seen such a busy woman? And I pointed out last week that she was very diligent. This is the woman, you know, whose lamp does not go out at nighttime. It doesn't mean it never goes out. She never goes to bed. That would be sinful. It means that when most people's lamps are out, this diligent woman is still working. And the same passage tells us she gets up while it's still night, meaning that she, she beats the sun in getting up. Before the sun rises, she's a hardworking woman. She works with her hands, we are told in verse 13, and works with willing hands. And in verse 14, we find that she brings her food from afar. Really, just, just glance at these several verses all the way through verse 19. I'm just pointing out certain things. In 15, she rises while it's still night, provides for a house. 16, she buys a field. She's a businesswoman. And with the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. And 17, she dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. 18, she, this is back to the business side of her. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. 19, she puts her hands, and this is a weaving instrument. And then if you would just go all the way to verse 27 for a moment. It says she looks well to the ways of her household. By the way, this is a problem we had a couple weeks. If you guys want to switch me out or anything, you're welcome to do that. Um, Just endure it for a little bit. We don't know what the solution is. We thought it was a short you want me to, should I pull this other mic up, Dwayne? Let's do that. Let's play it safe. It's a very um, distracting kind of sound for you all to hear. So She's a hardworking woman. And that's what a godly mother should be. And... That's what a godly father should be, a hard-working man. So we're impressed. She starts, all of this virtue is built in her, upon her love for God and her allegiance to Him. 
And the first thing we see is that she's a hardworking woman. And the second thing we see is that she serves others. Let me put it this way. She gives her life away. Did you notice that as Andrew read the passage? And you've read it surely many times on your own. In verse 12, we're told that she does her husband good and not harm all the days of her life. Who is she giving herself to? In this case, being a married woman, she gives herself to her husband. But she doesn't just give herself to her husband. She gives herself to the household, which includes children and maidens. Look at verse 15. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. Look at verse 21 with regard to her household, including children. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes clothing for her household, for her maidens. For her children. They're warm. She's concerned about their warmth. Look at verse 27. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. That's the hard working part there, but it's also the serving others part. And then when we look at verse 20, we see that this woman doesn't just serve her husband, doesn't just serve her children, doesn't just serve her maidens and her household. She cares about people in the community. And I believe. I want to assert this before I forget, that if she belonged to a a church like we have the privilege of belonging to, she would be serving the church in practical ways that were uh, commensurate with her giftedness and her time and her priorities. She would be a church woman. But notice what she does for the poor and for the needy in verse 20. She opens her hand to the poor. She reaches her hands out to the needy. This woman serves others. Fears God, works hard, serves others, gives her life away. Now, mind you, she doesn't do it at the expense of her family, but for her family and others. There's a key here, isn't there? Because the worldly woman who wants to find fulfillment and realize her human potential serves others, too. And in the process, she ruins her family. Not this woman. This woman has her priorities. And by the way, in no way am I suggesting, nor do I believe that um, the mother of Lemuel is suggesting that all you ladies need to get a job outside of the house. Maybe she travels and she buys and she plants and she does many things. See, if you take that away from Proverbs 31, you're all going to feel guilty. I don't have a second job. I should be helping with the household. No, God may have called you only to be a mother, only to be a wife for now. And if that's what God has called you to, don't let this put a guilt trip on you. In that culture, at that time, being a potential princess, she was going to be doing lots of things. But it also teaches that it is acceptable for a woman to go outside of the home and to help the household and to serve her husband and her family in these ways. So it it comes down to priorities. And many men fall into the same thing. They say, well, honey, I just really feel like the Lord is giving me this promotion. We're going to make more money. It's going to help us eliminate our debt quicker, more quickly. In fact, what he really wants is the stuff the money's going to buy, spends less time with the kids, less time with the wife, and the family goes to pot. We have to be very careful. 
Don't confuse hard work and giving yourself to others with neglecting priority responsibilities that God has given to us. So those are three things. And then finally, just a word about this. This woman changes the world. Say, well, that's kind of an overstatement, isn't it? Maybe. Maybe not. Ladies, if God uses you as a prime instrument in the conversion of your son or your daughter. And then God calls your son or your daughter to some significant place of influence. Do you think there's a sense in which you could say God used you to change the world? Let me just be real candid. We've got two men right now in our congregation who are running for political office. You know who they are. Bill and Tim. And I can assure you that they have women like the woman of Proverbs 31 behind them. And in many ways, help them. And their success in many regards, as the success of all of us as husbands in many regards, is affected by the help of our wives. Would you notice, for example, um, how um, this man is known in the gates? Verse 23, her husband is known in in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. You know what? She's married to a politician and the woman who wrote this and gave it to her son was going to have her married to the king. But she pictures her married to a man who has prominence in the community. He sits at the gates where government, city government is taken care of. And people know this man's wife, they say, there's, there's Tim. You know, Tim's married to a godly woman. You know that, don't you? There's Bill. You know, there's a godly woman behind him. They know. So I believe it's legitimate for me to say, not just from this passage, but from the whole teaching of the scriptures, that a godly mother literally can influence and change the world by her influence upon not only her wife, but upon her children. You may be raising a future gifted evangelist. You may well be raising a son or a daughter who's going to go to an unreached people group so that they can hear the gospel for the first time And the gospel is going to get established in that people group and spread throughout that nation and even influence government by one person. How easily illustrated. So is it far fetched for me to say that not only does she fear the Lord and work hard and serve others, but she changes the world? No, it's not far fetched. And for a godly motive, you can. Be very interested in seeing how much you might be able to change the world through the influence of the children that God has given you and the influence that you may have on your husbands. Now, I want to just conclude 
by saying this. So you see how appropriate this whole passage is. And my biggest burden, I will confess to you, ladies, and I've shared it with a few people, was so that you wouldn't be discouraged. I said that at the outset, and I want to say it again. Proverbs 31 can discourage a mother if she doesn't understand that the mother of Lemuel was only focusing on virtues. In that sense, she doesn't exist. So I want to say again, this is not about being a perfect mother. There are no perfect mothers. There has never been one, not even the mother of Jesus. You all know that Mary was a sinner. Everyone is a sinner. Only Jesus never sinned. So, ladies, as you strive to become the woman of Proverbs 31, and do it, please do it. I'm not apologizing for this standard. In no way am I trying to to sort of diminish your zeal to become the woman of Proverbs. No way. No. Strive by the grace of God to more and more and more conform your life to these virtues. But to the extent that you keep being reminded, I'm just failing so much. I'm just I'm making some progress, but I'm failing. Just take your failures to the Savior and say, Lord, I've sinned. I've I've sinned the sin of omission. I'm not as I've been as diligent as I need to be. I haven't. By the way, this chapter tells us that the law of wisdom is on her tongue and she speaks with kindness. She influences with her mouth and her teaching. I didn't emphasize that. Lord, I've not been good in these areas. Will you please forgive me? Thank you, Jesus, for dying and paying for that sin. And Lord, don't let me give up. Let me just keep pressing on. Holy Spirit, keep helping me. And every time I fail, I'm going to come back to the Savior and I'm going to reaffirm my complete trust in him. So that's the balance. That's what you ladies and all of us men need to be. That's the way we should live our Christian lives. And we who are husbands of wives who are making those efforts ought to be encouraging our wives. This is a good day to do it. Don't you love it when people focus on good things in people's lives? You say, well, my wife is in many regards not the one of, okay, but is she the woman of Proverbs 31 in any regard? Really? She never fixes meals for the family? She never cares about clothing? She has no business sense whatsoever? Go to your wives and say, honey, I'm so thankful for you. You're really good at that. You are an excellent wife and an excellent mother. I want to thank you for that. And help your wife aspire to these things by encouragement, not by criticism. And I want to say to you young ladies one more time, here's what you need to aspire to be. I'm sad about the world in which you young ladies are living in. It's very sad. And if you don't know what values are that this world places on women and what it's all about to be a woman in one sense I, I want to say this in another sense I don't want to say it. would you just go to a mall go to a, a good mall nothing like we have here go to a mall in a big city sorry Owensboro that's a pitiful excuse for a mall <laughs> Evansville's a start but you know what it's like to go to a big mall But in many regards, if your eyes are open and you go to a big mall, you see what a woman is supposed to be by this world's standards. 
How's she supposed to look? Girls, I fear for you because you may have bought into that and you really think the validity of your personhood, the way you're going to validate your personhood is through looks, through money, through success, through independence, and through other things that God's word puts no value on whatsoever. Please, young ladies, please look at Ruby. Ruby with all of her weaknesses that are not recorded and say, God, I want to be like her. And the one thing you must not forget, please, girls, please don't forget this. It starts with the fear of the Lord. Some of you girls need to get saved. You need to get saved soon. And you guys need to get saved. And you need to get saved soon. And you can be saved today. You can repent right now, right where you are, and say, God, I'm a wicked, wretched, vile sinner running like crazy toward hell. I desperately need my sins forgiven. I'm going to do what you promised. I'm going to trust Jesus and receive your forgiveness. Please change my life. That's what all of you, all of you who are unconverted, whatever your age is, need to do. So young ladies, aspire to be this woman. And young men, fix this picture in your mind. And look for that woman. Don't look for her in a perfect acquisition of all these things. But look for her in a, in a basic acquiring of these things. She will not, you will not find this woman perfectly, but you will find this woman pervasively. Look for her and don't marry someone who, who is void of these virtues. So let's, let's all of us, grandfathers, grandmothers, mothers, fathers, children, guys, girls, Human beings, look at Ruby and say, God, everything that's good about Ruby that could be applicable in my life, build it in me, but build it on the foundation that you are my Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage, and we thank you that it is a standard, and it is it is there for a positive purpose. And we, we pray together that none of us will be overwhelmed with discouragement in our failures, but inspired with hope instead that there's forgiveness for our sins and there's strength and power in the person of the Holy Spirit to become what your word wants us to become. Thank you for the mothers. We've thanked you already for them in the pastoral prayer, but once again, we thank you for our mothers, those who have gone on to be with you and those who still have an influence in our life. Bless the dear mothers and the would-be mothers of this congregation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please remember that.